Hey, why don't you go ahead and grab your Bibles and turn to the book of 1 John. 1 John chapter 2 is we're going to be this morning. If, if you don't have a Bible on this morning, if you forgot your Bible, if you didn't bring a Bible, if you throw your hand up, we'd love to get a Bible into your hand. So if you just throw your hand up, you can grab one of these. If you don't own a Bible, for sure, grab one of these. Take it home as our gift to you. Grab a copy of God's Word um, and turn to the book of 1 John. We're going to be starting in chapter 2 this morning. Hey, if this is your, your, your first sermon that you're coming to in this series, let me, let me catch you up a little bit of where we've been as we're tracking through this letter in, in, in God's Word called 1 John. Um, it was written as a, a letter to a group of churches in, in the area of Ephesus by this guy named John. John was one of Jesus' 12 disciples. By now, by the time he's writing this letter, he's in his late 80s, maybe early 90s, and he's, he's writing this letter as someone who's seen a lot, all right? Like, he, he's been through a lot. He followed Jesus for three years. He, he was at the Last Supper. He, he was friends with Judas, the one who betrayed Jesus. So, so John understands relational hurt and pain, right? He, he was the one who was at the cross watching as Jesus died. He was persecuted with all the other disciples. Um, every one of the other disciples were, were martyred, killed for their faith. John, history tells us that, that John was, they tried to boil him to death, either in water or oil, we're not sure. They tried to kill him that way. He survives that. John is one tough dude, all right? He was a fisherman. Him and his brother were called Sons of Thunder. There's a reason for that. I think John was pretty tough. He survives that. They exile him to the Isle of Patmos. And here's John, this guy who has seen life, this guy who has walked with Jesus, and he's writing this letter. Now, there's a quote that I love. As a preacher, I love this quote. There's a a Puritan named Richard Baxter who said this. He said, preach every sermon as it was your last sermon. Preach as a dying man to dying men and women. I love that quote. As a preacher, I love that. I think about it a lot as I'm preparing messages that I, that I would preach as a dying man to dying men and women, that this could be the last time I have an opportunity to open up God's word and share the gospel with you. Here's the reality for John as he writes this letter, though. For John, this isn't just a quote for him. I think for John, he really is nearing the end of his life, and he really could have been writing this letter thinking, this is it. This might be the last chance I have to share my heart here. And so he's writing this letter as a, hey, hey, if you forget everything else I've ever told you as your pastor, you need to remember this. This is the most important thing I could leave with you. That, that's why I think John is writing this letter, what he's saying, and what's his biggest concern? His biggest concern throughout this letter, he used it over and over again, this word, know, that you would know, that you would know that you're an authentic follower of Christ, that, that you wouldn't have doubts about it. Maybe you're one of those who doubt your salvation, you wrestle with it because of sin and because of struggle, or, or he's saying to those who are cruising through, just using the name of Jesus when they actually don't follow him, he's like, no, 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 no I want you to be able to know this. You know, when I was in grade 10, I, uh, I rocked a Rolex watch, for reals, right? No, not for reals, right? I didn't sell drugs. That's not how I got it, okay? <clears throat> Here's what it was. it was. It was a watch I got from a street vendor in Toronto. It was a fake Rolex watch, Rolex watch right? And then, so here's the thing. It, one of the ways you could tell it was a fake Rolex, apart from the fact that I was a grade 10 student, and I'm driving to school in the family station wagon with a miscolored back door because we got it at the junkyard, right? Like, you, pretty obvious that this kid should not be rocking a Rolex, but there's ways you can tell if a Rolex is a real Rolex or not. Do you know what some of those are? One, one of them is this. If, if you look at the seconds hand, on, on a fake Rolex, it'll tick. It'll do this. On a real Rolex, it sweeps, 
all right? So some dude saying, look, my Rolex, you'll be like, it's fake, right? So there are ways, there, there are other ways you'll be able to tell, is it real, is it fake? But listen, listen, there are ways that, that John's laying out for us here. Here are ways to test the authenticity of your Christianity, of your faith. He's saying, hey, hey, if you're calling yourself a Christian, are you really the real deal? Are you really authentic? Here's my hope this morning as we unpack this this morning. There, there are a few different kinds of people here this morning. I want, I want to talk to each one of you. There are some here this morning where you are like so fired up for Jesus. Man, you are living it out. You are excited about the gospel. It's changed you. I mean, you are, just, you are just so filled with the joy of the Lord. And even in tough times, you're like, man, but I'm trusting in Jesus. Even in struggling times, you're like, yeah, I'm sorrowful, but, but, but I, I know who I am in Christ. Listen, I hope for you this morning that you'd be more fired up more encouraged, you would celebrate during this message. For those of you here this morning, maybe you're here this morning and you're prone to doubt. You tend to assume the worst about yourself. My hope is this, that you'd be comforted this morning, that, that you'd be encouraged, that you'd be exhorted to continue to pursue Jesus in those moments where you feel the weight of your sin, that you would hear this morning, hey, keep following Christ. But there are some of you here this morning, you need to look at your life and consider your life very carefully. Whether you're, you're overconfident in, in who you are and, and you're not living the life for Christ, but you're overconfident in it, that you would be cautioned this morning. Or maybe it's, it's apathy. You're, you're walking this life and, and you're so apathetic, you're kind of just going through the motions. My hope is that this message would be a caution for you. I'd also expect there are some people this morning you need to feel the full weight of God's word on your heart and your soul and your life this morning because you're not actually walking in the direction of Christ. And my hope is this, my hope is that you'd feel the conviction of God's word this morning, you'd feel the conviction of the Holy Spirit, that you'd feel that conviction and it would lead you towards turning from where you're going, turning from what you're running to and say, no, I need Jesus, I need to pursue him. Because here's the thing, you don't need to know a lot of things to do great things for Jesus. You, you don't have, a, have to have a, a huge grasp on everything theological, but you need to know a few things. You need to be so gripped by these few things, gripped so much that it turns you inside out, that it reorients your heart in a whole different direction, that it radically changes the way you look at your life and how you do your life. That's what John's unpacking this morning. So he starts in verse one of chapter two. If you have your Bibles open, look what it says. He says, my little children. Don't you love that? I, I love that line, my little children. I mean, there should be a, when you hear that. Like you just heard me say, this is gonna be a hard sermon and you're gonna be, you, you might be confronted, you might be convicted. And John begins with, hey, my little children. Now, John's old enough that, that he could call us all his children, and, and, and he wants to be sure as he's speaking this, he's this loving, gentle, affectionate pastor. He loves his people. This is not an angry parent. This is not a hockey coach screaming at you, all right? This is not a, a disengaged teacher or professor. This is not some stranger just hammering out advice. This is a pastor speaking out of love here. And he's going to draw some very hard lines in the sand for us. He's going to lay out for us, hey, this is what makes you a fake. This is what makes you authentic. And, and he wants to know where it's coming from. He's saying, this is coming from a heart that's so deeply invested. He says, my little children. 
my little children. What's he say next? He says, my little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. Okay, so what's his whole purpose in here? He makes it really clear. We don't need to figure that out. You don't need to kind of unpack it in there. Well, your purpose is clear. Your big idea is that as Christ followers, we would not pursue after sin. Now listen, when he talks about sin, we've, we've talked about this a lot as a church. He's not just talking about the outward actions of sin, the things we say and do. He's talking about the sin under the sin, the heart motivation, the direction of your heart, the worship of your heart the desires of your heart. And he says, my little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin, but if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. He's the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but for the sins of the whole world. Here's the first sign of our our authenticity. If If you're taking notes this morning, it's this, I'm embracing the gospel. I am embracing the gospel. I mean, this is so important we get this. Everything we're about to talk about this morning, everything in your Christian life begins here at this point of the gospel that Jesus Christ in your place took the penalty for your sins so that you now have his righteousness. It all starts there. It begins with a grasp of the grace of God in that. We need to know who we are if we're gonna live out of the reality of that truth. So John starts by saying, my little children, I love that. God always tells you who you are before he tells you what to do or not to do. God always tells you who you are first. Theologians will say it this way. They say that scripture has both indicatives and imperatives. Right? The, the imperatives, scripture is full of imperatives, commands. Do this, don't do that. Live in this way, don't live in this way. But here's the thing, those, those imperatives, those commands, they always flow out of the indicatives, the who you are, statements of your identity in Christ. So, so we understand here, what, what's John actually saying about our identity in Christ? If, if our goal is to have a heart that pursues after Jesus and, and when we fail and fall, and listen, we will, all right, the, the goal of being authentic is not perfection because none of us will reach that. The goal is direction. Where are you walking? Where are you pursuing? We're not going to be perfect until Christ returns. And if if perfection's your goal, here's what will happen. You'll either be beat down by shame and guilt, or or you'll hide it and fake it, or or you become that that religious over-controlling, making sure everybody lives up to a certain standard. Listen, we won't be perfect. And John is so great here. He goes, if you sin, when you sin, here's the hope you have. Here's the hope you have. If we sin, we have an advocate who is our propitiation. All right, you're like, that doesn't light me up very much. We need to understand what those words mean, right? We understand, well, what does that mean that we have an advocate who's our propitiation? Well, what does propitiation mean? There are, there are so many things that Christ did on the cross for us, and we celebrate those things. We have victory over sin and death. We can say, that's what the cross did for us. It brought us victory. At the cross, we know that the old covenant became a new covenant. That's something that the cross did. That's something that Christ did for us. But there's also something else here, another benefit of the cross that John's pointing to, and he says there's propitiation. Here's what it means. The word simply means this. It means the removing removing of penalty by the absorbing of wrath. What does that mean? It means that on the cross, Christ absorbed the full weight of our sin. That's propitiation. 
He took our penalty for sin that we should have paid and, and it was put on him, fully on him. God's wrath poured out on him so that we now get the benefit. We get the reward. We get Christ's righteousness. You can think of it this way. If, if you're borrowing your friend's iPhone and you drop it and it smashes into a million pieces, they have a charge against you now, right? You, you have to replace this. You have to pay for this. You broke it. You need to pay for a new one. So you do. You go and you buy a new one. You pay the full price. Get them a new iPhone. You've taken the full damage of that. So they now get the new iPhone. They're now propitiated. You can now start using that word all the time, right? Like, hey, I just propitiated you, right? What did you say? Right? You have to understand what the word is, right? So here's the thing. The person who you now paid for, you've now given them the new thing, they have no more claim against you. Why? Because it's paid in full. So Jesus propitiated the full penalty, the full wrath of God against sin. How? Because he suffered the way we are supposed to suffer. He took our place. On the cross, he absorbs every ounce of penalty that you and I deserve. All of it poured out on Jesus. He was our substitute, the lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says that he who knew no sin became sin for us so that we might be the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. The cross is that, that unbelievable place where you see the perfect justice of God and the perfect love of God meet in one place. His, his love displayed in Jesus, God the Son, willingly giving his life for us. His justice displayed in that the penalty was paid in full. Sin no longer, listen, listen, if you put your faith in Christ, sin no longer has a claim on you. The debt's paid. And, and with that in mind, with, with propitiation, okay, the debt's been paid. Jesus now stands as our advocate. Now, here's what happens. When we sin, we have an advocate, John says. Religion says, when you sin, you're done. You better hope you got good works that outweigh that sin, because if you sin, you, you're toast, you're sunk. No, no, the gospel doesn't say that. The gospel says this, when you sin, you have an advocate. Now, what's that mean, have an advocate? Well, you need to picture like a courtroom scene. In the courtroom, you have all these different players in the courtroom, right? So you, you have the judge. The judge is God the Father. He's, he's the judge. There's God. You, you, have, you have the, the prosecuting attorney, the accuser. That's Satan. And in scripture, he's called the accuser of the brethren. He's always coming to you. You ever feel that? That, I can't believe you did that. I can't believe the sin you've got. I can't believe how you look. I can't believe how you act. That's Satan. That's the accuser. And he's accusing all the time, all the time, going before God, going, look at this loser. Look at what they've done. Punish them. Pour your wrath out on them. That's the accuser in the courtroom. You have the accused. That's you and me. All right, we're sitting there. The sin we've done, it's out there. The, the case is open and shut. Like, there we are. We, we have sinned. But then you also have the defense attorney. You have this advocate, this advocate, and that's Jesus. So, so here's the scene, get it. You're in the courtroom, you're sitting there. The, the judge is there, Satan steps up. He points out all your sin. And then Jesus stands up as the advocate. And here's the thing about an advocate. Here's the thing about a defense lawyer. You're only as good as your lawyer is, right? If, if that lawyer can speak well, then, then you speak well. So, so Jesus stands up as the perfect advocate and, and he steps up. Now here's what he does though. In the courtroom, he doesn't actually defend you. He, he doesn't stand up and say, it's not true. She's not guilty. He's not guilty. No, no, they didn't do it. Jesus doesn't stand up and say that. What's he do? He stands up. Jesus, your advocate, stands up and to the judge says, they're completely guilty. 
guilty as charged. And you're sitting there going, I should have got a different advocate. What, why are they doing that? Why, why would Jesus say that? Now, now, here's the thing. To understand the power of Christ as your advocate, you need to come back to understand propitiation. You need to understand what, what the atoning work of Christ on the cross is. It's, it's, not, it's not you're in the courtroom and, and Jesus on your behalf pleading for God's mercy. Jesus is not up there saying, oh, yeah, yeah, he did it again. Yep, she did it again, I know. So hit and miss every week, hard to know. What do you think, God? Should, should we let them off this time? Could you show a little mercy? Could you be, could you be lenient this time? I mean, you gotta wonder if that was our defense, if that was how Jesus was our advocate, you would start to wonder when, when will he get tired of defending a serial sinner? When will he say, I'm done making excuses for you? When will the judge say, enough? But listen, that, that's not what Jesus is doing as our advocate. He's not making excuses. He's not pleading on God's leniency. Jesus is stepping up to the judge and saying, yep, guilty. But on the basis of my atoning work, you need to let them go free. He's walking up to the judge and bringing your file with you, maybe your file case, your, your boxes of, I don't know, your file of sins, right? And going, boom, here they all are. Here are all the sins. All of them are true, guilty as charged. But then he goes, but I got one more file. And this file written in my blood, it's my propitiation. It's my atoning work. It's me dying for these sins. And it says paid in full. Jesus, not, not appealing to God's leniency. Jesus actually is appealing to God's perfect justice. Remember what it says in, in 1 John 1, 9. We read that last week. It says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and really nice to forgive our sins. It doesn't say that. You should really look in your Bible. It doesn't say that. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and what? Just to forgive us our sins. It's his justice. Jesus says, God, you are all righteous. You are all holy. You do nothing that's wrong. And, and this person has placed their faith in me and I've absorbed your wrath against their sin on their behalf. So you can't punish them because you're a righteous judge and you can't give two punishments for one offense. I love that. that. That's God's grace and mercy that's flowing out of his justice. I mean, that's a solid case. That's, that's a solid defense where we can say, look at our sin, bring it to the Lord and go, man, case closed. I mean, have you embraced that truth? Maybe this morning, you know what? I don't think I've ever gotten there. Now, I've done the religious thing. I've tried to outweigh my good and my bad. I've, I do the church thing, but I, I don't know if I've rested or embraced that. Listen, that's the beginning of new life. That's the beginning of the gospel. That's the place you come and you say, Lord, I have nothing apart from you. All the evidence stacked against me. So I want to put my life in your hands. Believe what you've done for me at the cross. So one of the marks of Authentic faith is what? We're resting in this truth. And, and, and because of that, here's what it'll look like. Here's what, here's what the authenticity will look like. You'll have a humility and a confidence. You'll have a, a confidence in the finished work of Christ, not beat up with shame and guilt, but celebrating and confident who you are in Christ, worshiping with a full heart because you're seeing the cross and going, man, that's my life. My life is hid in Christ. My life is Christ. There's a confidence that comes there. There's also a humility though. 
Because you don't walk out of that courtroom with all the, all the, the evidence stacked against you. You are guilty. And, and Jesus says, here's how you're set free. And the evidence he puts forward is a cross and thorns and nails and his bloody body given on your behalf. You don't walk out arrogant from that, right? You, don't know, you no longer talk about how awesome you are. You only point to Jesus. I mean, I love how Martin Luther said it. He said it in Latin, and I can't say it in Latin, but here's how he said it. As a Christian, we are at the same time sinful and righteous. There's a joy that comes out of that and a humility that comes out of that. At the same time, we're sinful, broken, messed up people. But at the, the very same time that that is true of us, we're also more loved, we're forgiven, we're embraced and accepted by the creator of the universe. You walk in confidence, you walk in joy, you walk in humility, you begin to live out of that reality of who you really are. So what happens when you fall short? What do you do? You look to that, that union you have with Christ that says there's no more condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And so you don't have to pretend anymore. You don't have to fake it any longer. You don't have to carry the burden of your sin on your shoulders. No, you walk out this joy. Why? Empowered in the gospel empowered by his spirit, empowered by the work on the cross. And, and what's it do? It's not just now my past sins are taken care of. No, if we sin in the moment of what you're doing now in sin, you have a confidence, you have a power of that work of Christ on the cross that right now you can turn from those things that put him on the cross. In fact, this is where John leads. He says, if, if you really grasp this gospel, it'll change the way you live. Look at verse three. He goes on, he says, and, and by this we know that we've come to know him if we keep his commandments. Here's our second point this morning. It's this, how do I know I'm authentic? I'm living out the gospel. I'm living out the gospel. Now remember where it begins. It, it's, it's not, it doesn't start with, oh, I go to church or I do all these things. Or, I was raised in a Christian home or, or I know so much. It starts with trusting in Christ as your only hope, but then you follow him as your only Lord. You start to see these next verses. They, they start to, to show, hey, what's it look like to be a child of God, saved by God? Well, it looks like this. I embrace the gospel and then I start to live it out. And I walk in the way of Christ. Now, why would we do that? We don't do that to be saved, right? That's not our, our way to salvation, but it's our response to it. We keep his commandments. Why? Because we've been saved. This is how we know. Have you been justified by Christ? Do you know? How are you walking? Are you living like Jesus? Are you trusting him with your life and therefore you obey him? Now, I look at it this way. When, when my kids were little, I always did the thing. You go to the lake, and you've probably done this too if you had kids. You, you stand in the water up to here, your kid's on the dock, and you say, jump. And what do you do? You're convincing your kid, trust me, daddy will catch you. It's okay, I got you. And then, <laughs> then you ask, do you trust daddy? I trust you. Jump. <laughs> do they actually trust you? No, they don't. Not while they're standing in the dock, no matter how much they say. The evidence of that trust is found when? When they leap off the dock. When they jump and say, no, 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 I do trust. I do trust you're going to catch me. 
So here's my question. Have you embraced the gospel and what Christ says about you, who you are in Christ? And here's the question then. Do, do you say it or does your life reveal it? Have you jumped off the dock? I mean, John here, look what he says in verse three again. By this, we know that we've come to know him. He says, you can know that you really know him. How? If we keep his commandments. He, he links this intellectual knowledge of Christ with experiential knowledge. He says, how do you know you really know Christ? You jump off the dock. You keep his commandments. What, what, what we do or don't do, it matters. John Stott says this, he says, no religious experience is valid if it doesn't have moral consequences. Titus 1.16 says this, there are some who profess to know God, but they deny him by their works. I mean, right now, take stock of your life. Have you jumped off the dock? Or, or are there places in your life where you're still holding on? You're still saying, I'm not jumping there. I know Christ has called me to this. I know he's called me to follow him this way. I know he said, this is what it looks like in obedience, but, but you're holding on saying, I can't trust him in that. You say, but, but, but I love Jesus. I trust him. You don't actually. And I know that sounds harsh, but, but John's words are even harder. Look what he says in verse four. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. John calls that person a liar. That, that, that person who, who stands on the dock, the person who has a lot of words, but it's never backed up with actions, he's saying, listen, listen, then your words aren't true. So let me ask you this, are, are you obeying Christ as Lord of your life? Your life is a display of what you believe. If, if, listen, listen, if nobody at your school knows you're a Christian by the way you live your life, you probably aren't a Christian. If nobody at your workplace, if, if nobody in your neighborhood watches your life and knows you're a Christ follower, it's probably because you're not, is what John's saying. I mean, it's a heavy truth but it's an important truth for us. In fact, again, let, let, let me back up to the groups of people I was talking about at the beginning of this sermon. Listen, if, if, if the posture of your life is pursuing after Christ and you're saying, Jesus, you're my Lord. I wanna follow you wherever you lead me to. I trust that your word is, is, is greater than my word. I trust that your way is better than my ways. And you still stumble and fall. Listen, be encouraged, be comforted. Continue to pursue after Jesus. If you're fighting sin today, don't quit, don't stop. God's not asking you to be perfect, but he's calling you to make a connection to what you say you believe and how you live your life. So keep going. Listen, if, if you're confessing sin, if you're repenting over sin, if you're sorrowful over sin, if you're celebrating grace as the, the listen, that, that's a great place to be. If on the other hand, you, you roll in here this morning and you're like, man, I am awesome. Like this week, I nailed the Jesus thing. You're in trouble. You need to hear these words as a caution. You need to be cautioned when you compare your life no longer to scripture, but you compare your life to other people while not as bad as they are. 
You need to be cautioned when you find yourself excusing sin. You need to be cautioned when you find yourself pushing against God's word. You, you need to be cautioned if you find yourself lazy and apathetic with the things of the gospel. You need to be cautioned if you've never spent time in the word on your own. You, you need to hear this as a caution if you never pray, either on your own or with your family. You say, I never do it. Hear this as caution. If you don't worship with your life, if, if community and, and, and connecting with believers is, is kind of like, well, I'll get to it when I get to it, hear this as caution. If living out your faith, if it just isn't, isn't a part of your normal, listen, you need to hear this as caution. Some of you, though, you may, may not just need to hear this as caution. You, you need to be convicted by this message, by what John is saying here in God's word. If there's an ongoing pattern of sin in your life that, that, that has now not to become sin you struggle with, it's just normal, it's defining. It's, it's not just I stumble and fall in this. No, no, it's become who you are. It's become how you live. You need to be scared at the, the inconsistency between what you say you believe and how you actually live out your life. My hope is this, that it's God's word this morning lands on you heavy and pushes you towards repentance. You say, man, I don't want to walk in this way anymore. And if you still hear what I'm saying this morning and, and you find yourself in this place and you feel that deep conviction, be thankful because that's a gift from God. It's God pursuing your heart still this morning. But listen, don't waste the conviction because it might not be long before you stop hearing it at all. John, John goes on to the positive next. Look at verse five. He says it in a positive way. He says, whoever keeps this word, in him truly the love of God is perfected. By this we know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way he walked. So again, I ask you this, are your words and your actions, are they coming out of a heart of somebody who says, I'm abiding with Christ, I'm walking with Christ, my life is hid in Christ? Or are you keeping and treasuring God's word? Are you resting and embracing the gospel of Christ, Jesus? Do you see that working out in your life? So now you're like, man, man I, can, I can look at my life and yeah, I'm not perfect, but I, I see who I was and, and I'm growing in, in who I am in Christ. I, I become less irritable. I become less anxious. I become less selfish. I'm, I'm growing in love and compassion and self-control and patience and righteousness. I mean, here's the question that John's saying. Are you walking more and more like Christ? Because Jesus says it this way. He says, you'll know a tree by its fruit. L look at the fruit of your life. Look at what you see in your life. W what does it say about the tree that you are, about where the roots you have are planted? I mean, John says, look at your character. Is it, is it growing? Is it changing? Are you growing more and more into Christ's likeness? Is there an increasing desire for godly things? Or are you growing indifferent towards things of the Lord? 
Is your life marked by joy and by repentance and by humility and by faith as you jump off that dock saying, I'm following you, Lord. I hear you say, I wanna follow you in this. Because here's the thing, the hope of Christianity is not only that our sins are forgiven past, it's also the transforming power of what that means, that new position you have of living forgiven and what it does to you and through you. It transforms your heart. So now it's not just a word you heard in the past, it's what drives you forward. You say, man, I believe in God's grace and it's transformed my heart. I now have a whole new focus. I have a whole different motivation. I want to walk like Jesus walked. And, and the more you grow, the greater you start to understand. As you grow closer and closer to Christ, here's what happens. You start to understand more and more, man, do I ever need to work? And you grow in thankfulness for the grace of God again. You grow more aware of your need for Jesus. So John's saying, my little children, my, my loved ones, he's saying this, let's keep growing. Let's keep confessing. Let's keep becoming like Jesus more and more and in more areas in our lives. I would say it this way, as, as you go about your week this week, celebrate those times in your life, in your week, where, where you see, man, that was not me, that was Jesus. Celebrate that. Like, like when you respond in love instead of defensiveness or lashing out. When, when husbands, when you love your wife, you lay down your life or you love her like Christ loves the church, celebrate that. Say, man, that was Jesus. Wives, when you, when you love and lift up your husband. Students, when you live out for Jesus in your school. For all of us, listen, when you say no to sin and yes to Jesus, when that happens, when that happens, we should be encouraged. We should be saying to Jesus, thank you. Thank you for what you're doing in my life. This is unbelievable because this, this is not how I would act without your grace. Now be cautioned in this though. If, you're, if, if, if this isn't where you're walking, be convicted if you say one thing, but you totally live a different way and then run fast to Jesus. Our life shows if we really are authentic or not. Now, lastly, here's where John goes. He, he takes another step in, in where he's going with this and he gives another example. He says, here's another evidence of authenticity. Look at verse seven. He says, beloved, again, I love that. He starts with loved ones. He starts with who you are. He says, beloved, I'm writing to you I'm writing you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word you heard. At the same time, it is a new commandment that I'm writing to you, which is true in him and in you because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. All right, what is it? What's this new commandment? Verse nine, whoever says he's in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light and in him there is no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. Here's our last point this morning. It's this. What's, what's, what's a way I know I'm authentic? I'm loving others. I'm loving others. And John's laying it out here pretty intensely, saying this is what it looks like. You know, I remember as a kid once, and, and I have two older brothers and a younger sister, and in, in our family, we fought like every family did, but I remember one time, my brothers and I were fighting, and, and, and one of my brothers said it, I would never have said it because I was the perfect child, but one of my brothers, he said to one of my other, me or the other brother, he said, man, I hate you. 
I've never seen my dad light up so much. I mean, he would let us get away with a lot of stuff. But he said, man, I hate you. My brother, my, my dad just stopped. He, he let out one of, one of his, hey, we stop. Like, what's going on? He goes, listen, listen. Yeah, yeah, that's not how we act as brothers. You don't, you don't speak that way about your brother. He's family. He's on our team. We encourage, we love, we lift up, we come behind. We don't tear down. We don't do the whole behind your back thing. We don't do that. Why? He says, because we're a team, we're a family. And I look at this letter here and I feel it's almost like John's doing one of those dad moments. Well, there's this father heart of John coming out and he's going, hey, love each other. This is the proof that you've embraced the gospel. Not, not how much theology you have, not how much you serve in the church, not how many verses you've memorized, not, not all the things you can point to that you know in the books you've read. The, the question here, John's saying is, do you love each other? He's saying, listen, this isn't new. It's an old commandment. You've heard this before. It's all through the old covenant, the old Testament. Jesus said it pretty clearly. He says, you should love each other. In fact, Jesus said it this way. People will know that you have a love for Christ with how you love each other. He goes, it's an old commandment. He goes, but there's something new about it. He says, you've heard it said but he goes, but now, but now, look at this, eight, verse eight. At the same time, it's a new commandment I'm writing to you, which is true in him. And listen, it's true in you. It's, it's, it's become your reality. He says, if you're a Christ follower, this is now true of you. The darkness is now gone. You have the spirit of God in you. You're made new. It's, it's now not just a command you've heard to love one another. No, in Christ, this is your reality. And you can't say you're walking in the light and have hatred in your life. So he says, listen, obedience is a, is a sign that you're actually following Christ. He says this, love, love is a sign that you're actually following Christ. And you can't have hatred in your heart and still say you love Jesus. You can't hate, you can't despise people. You can't dislike them immensely. Hatred's where you refuse to give grace, where you don't want someone to have grace. To hate someone, it's the, it's the opposite of bearing all things, of believing all things, of, of enduring all things. It's the opposite of being patient and kind and forgiving. It's when we're rude, when we're irritable, when we're bitter, when we're resentful, when we're indifferent and cold. Listen, it doesn't mean that in our church we won't have struggles. We'll for sure have struggles. We, we won't always agree on things. We won't all be best friends with everyone here. But listen, when we have a hatred in our heart, it's us pushing others away and says, no, you stay out there and, and, and you don't come in. And John says, when we hate people like that, we stumble around in the dark. We, we're so lost. We're so lost in the darkness. Here's how dark it is. We actually start to justify hatred. So yeah, but you don't know what that person said. Well, you don't know the hurts I carry. Or, or we stumble around in the darkness and we, and we lash out and we say things. You ever do this? Where you just say something out of anger and then you come back maybe later in the day and you're like, man, I wish I didn't say that. I can't believe I acted like that. You know, I love watching NBA. 
of watching basketball. And, and there's something they brought in just over the last few years. They brought in the slow-mo instant replay, especially they use it to see whether a foul was just a regular foul or what they call a flagrant foul. A flagrant foul is where like you were actually intending to hurt that person. And here's the thing. You can watch guys get all up in each other's grill on the basketball court and you watch it in fast motion. It seems pretty like, yeah, that's pretty normal. Guys are like, come on, I'm pushing around. But when you put it in super slow-mo, it looks ridiculous. Right? You just see it slowed down and you watch you go, those guys are ridiculous. One, you're like seven feet tall, so your arms look so weird as you're trying to, right? <laughs> what if God dropped slow-mo into your home? You're like, dang, I was just laughing. I didn't see you hit me with that one. Right? What if God had a replay for your life right now? What if God said, hey, hey, this morning, I, I want to replay how your family worked this week. Super slow-mo. I mean, in, in, in the moment, our anger or our hatred can seem so justified, but man, you play it back again, you're like, man, I can't believe I acted like that. John's saying, that's living in darkness when you don't recognize it. Now, here's the thing. Again, I want to bring comfort for some of y'all because some of you here, you're sitting here going, you know, I have been trying so hard to love people and I've been wounded. I've been hurt. People have been insensitive to me, but I'm leaning into this. Listen, if you know Christ, here's the great part about that. You have a new heart. Here's what I mean. You have a new heart that can act in a different way. Anyone can harbor bitterness. You don't need Jesus to be bitter. Anybody can be angry. Anybody can nurse a grudge. There, there's nothing special or miraculous about being bitter, but it takes a work of the Spirit to produce that Christ-like love in you. And so in those moments when you've been hurt, maybe it's a moment to rejoice saying, God, thank you for a, an opportunity for me to live out in a way you've created me to be, to show I'm authentic. Maybe some of you need to be careful as you hear this and you started to justify some sinful responses. And you've got a list of reasons like, okay, I get that, John. I get what you're saying here, but, but you don't understand. My thing's different. And here's the list of reasons why. My, my call to you this morning would be just be careful. Why not respond instead with, this morning even, by putting on kindness, by putting on tenderheartedness, by putting on a spirit of forgiveness. Now here's the thing, if, if you're so filled with a lack of love this morning and, and it's not just something you, you wrestle with, it's not just something you, you take to the Lord, Lord, I'm struggling with this, would you help me love this person? But it's defined who you are. You now walk around in anger and bitterness but you still claim to be a Christ follower. You have a long, lifelong animosity towards somebody else. You've nursed the bitterness and defensiveness. I want you to hear me. Listen, listen. You can't harbor hatred and love for Jesus at the same time. You have to choose one or the other. I mean, see the gospel again today that, that when Christ took hold of you, you were not easy to love. We are at our most unlovable when Christ reached out to us. 
You are an enemy of God, and yet Jesus chose to love you. And John saying, if you're in Christ, you have the ability to tap into that power, into a power source that's supernatural, that's beyond you, so that you can, you can have a love for the unlovable, that a, a marriage that's been, been hurt from years of difficulty and coldness and fight and struggle, that in the power of Christ, that today healing can begin, not under your power, but because of the cross of Christ, because you've been made new. And now that command to love others, it's so different now, so different, because why? Because you go, man, this is what Christ did for me. This changes everything. Because you, you can't remember the gospel and hold on to a grudge at the same time. You can't hold on to sinful lifestyle and hold on to the gospel at the same time. They're exclusive. Only one can fill your heart. So what do we do? The Bible says confess and repent. You drop the one. If there's a grudge there, you begin to remember the cross and wow, the grudge I have, Jesus paid for all those grudges on the cross. And then then what happens is the grace of God starts to well up in your heart and there's no room for grudges. There's no room for bitterness. There's no room for envy. There's no room for selfishness or jealousy. There's no room for whatever else is trying to get in there. Why? Because your heart is so filled with the gospel. To walk in authenticity, to walk in obedience and in love like we're being called to here by God's word. It's not about, hey, look more deeply at your sin. Look more at your sin. See what's going on. No, it's look more to Christ. Begin to look at Jesus. Begin to supernaturally then walk as Jesus walks, John says. So listen, as a church, as the worship team comes up, I just want to say this as we end off this morning. We want to be known as a church that's authentic. What's that mean? It means means we want to live out the gospel in our lives. It means we want this place to be the most loving community you could ever find in all of Muskoka. Why? Because we're reaching out in love to each other. Because we're reaching out in love to those in our, in our community. It's, it's the gospel being lived out. And it changes how we do life. It changes how you do marriage. It allows you to live out love in a new way in your marriage. It changes how you parent your kids as you point your kids to the gospel. It changes how we view our stuff and our time. It changes how we view other people. Now we don't see them as, well, I can use these people for what I can get. Now we go, man, how can I pour my life out? How can I pour my time out? How can I pour my resources out? We become more loving, more generous, more faithfully stepping out and you begin to live life differently. You spend more time jumping off that dock where people around you go, man, what's up with you? How can you keep jumping like that? You say, it's Jesus. It's Jesus. So here's what we're gonna do as we close. I'm gonna call the ushers up right now. We're we're gonna end off with a time of communion. And, And what is communion? Communion is really just a time for us to remember the gospel. It's a time of remembrance. And, and as they come, they're, they're, gonna, they're gonna pass right away. They're gonna start handing them out right now. And there are two cups. Grab them both, the bread's in the bottom cup. So grab their stack together. And as you grab these as they go by, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, this is an opportunity for you to remember. If you don't know Jesus, 
then this, this isn't really a, a thing for you. This is something that, that Christians do to remember. It, it could be for you this morning. If listening this morning, you're like, man, I want that. I wanna follow Christ. I want this forgiveness. Then grab this and celebrate communion for the first time. For those of us who know Christ, what are, what are we doing in this moment? We're taking this bread and this cup and the bread representing Christ's body given for us. The cup is blood poured out for us. It's us again coming back to where we, where we need to start. We start in the gospel and our lives are lived out of that place. In fact, as it's being handed out, there's an account in the gospels I wanna highlight and it's, it's Jesus and the scribes and the Pharisees and then they drag this woman in front of Jesus. They throw her down on the ground in front of Christ. And it says this, when they'd set her in the midst, they said to him, teacher, this woman was caught in adultery, caught in the very act of adultery. It says the Moses in the law commanded that she should be stoned. What do you say, Jesus? The law says she should be killed. I love that Jesus stoops down and starts writing in the sand, it says. I love that. It's like, he's like, I'm not even listening to you guys. Ignoring the accusers. They continued asking, hey, hey, what do we do? What do we do? They continue to be the voice of Satan. They continue to be the accuser. And Jesus then says, let him who has no sin throw the first rock. Very slowly, it says, from the oldest to the youngest, they begin to drop the rocks and walk away. And then Jesus looks up again and he says to the woman, he goes, where, where, where is everybody? Where are the accusers, he says. Has no one condemned you? And she said, no one, Lord. And Jesus says, neither do I. Go and sin no more. Here's what I want you to do in this moment as you hold the bread and cup. We're, we're gonna take them together in a moment. But as you hold on to the bread and the cup, as you think about the sacrifice of Christ, as you think again about the cross and the resurrection, think about this story and who you are in this story. You're the woman caught in adultery. The sin is real, caught in the act, it says. You're guilty. And now Satan stands like the Pharisees and the scribes. He's the accuser and he's accusing you. Saying this is true about you. This sin, this apathy, this coldness, this anger, this lust, this, this lying, this sin you have, it's real. And he's accusing and, he, and he's standing before God going, what are you gonna do? Jesus steps in in that moment as your advocate and says, you're free. You're free. How? How? How could Jesus say that? How could he say that about you? Because what you hold in your hand right now, what that represents, the picture you have in your hand right now, because his body given for you, his blood, blood poured out for you, your sin nailed to the cross so that now Jesus, as your advocate, can stand up and say, she's free. He's free. You're set free. That right now you'd celebrate that if you're a Christ follower. You'd, you'd, you'd be humbled by that. Because Jesus then said to her, he says, go and sin no more. Out of this freedom, live this out. So what do you do in this moment? You, you take that sin you have. Maybe it's sin you've held on to and you've not let go of. And in this moment, you go, Lord, I want to give this to you because it's been 
say this, here's why we deal with sin in that way. Here's why we immediately say, Lord, you need to take this from me. I think oftentimes, I don't know if you've ever been to the ocean. I think oftentimes we, we treat sin like we treat jellyfish. We know they sting us, but isn't it fun to poke them? To kind of get close to them? To kind of like, ooh, let me see what the, ooh, it's so, it looks kind of squishy and nice. And, you, okay, and yeah, there might come a time where boom, you get stung, you get, get stung, you gotta, ah, you gotta scrape it off and it hurt for a while. And we think that's kind of what sin is like in the ocean. It's not sin. Sin's the shark in the ocean. Sin, sin knows where you are and can sense you from miles away and is coming to destroy you. We don't play with it then. If you're playing with it, this is the caution for you. Live out the gospel. Take that sin to the cross. Experience the freedom of forgiveness again that spurs you on to walk as an authentic follower of Christ. You notice in the story that when Jesus forgives this woman that the accusers are many and the advocates are few. Maybe this morning for you, as you bring your sin to the Lord, as we celebrate communion, maybe here's the second part of this. Who do you know caught under the weight of sin who needs an advocate? Because communion is not just about this relationship. It for, it for sure starts there between you and the Lord, but then communion is also about community. Communion, we celebrate this together. It's about relationships. Because here's the thing, if you remember that in the story who you are, you're the woman caught in adultery. You're not Jesus in the story. When we remember that, we never, ever want to be like the scribes and Pharisees. And I don't want to be an accuser then. I, I, I want to be an advocate. So this morning, maybe, maybe there's somebody even here. Like, I don't know if I can celebrate the gospel this morning because I've got this anger towards somebody. I've got this indifference towards somebody here that right now, bringing that to the Lord. So God, forgive me. I want to pursue them this morning. I want to grab them right now and say, hey, I want to be able to take communion. I, I, I want to make this right. We begin to drop our rocks and we run to each other in forgiveness and in love. We, we, we go out of here to lift up the broken in our community. We look for those who need an advocate, who need compassion. We say, man, I want to live this out. I want to live out this gospel. So right now, as you hold the bread, Jesus said, this is my body given for you. And just when you eat it, remember me. Remember the cross. Remember the grace of God in your life. Let's eat together. in the same way he took the cup and he gave thanks and he said this is the cup of the new covenant because this is this is this is the, my blood poured out for you this is us celebrating that we also don't just get saved from past sin we now get to walk in the newness of life with Christ because of his blood shed for us let's celebrate and drink together would you stand with me as we sing as we celebrate this gospel